welcome to this latest episode of The Month in VC, our regular podcast on the African venture capital space. Brought to you in partnership with Catapult Africa, Halayasani Capital, ARM Labs Lagos Techstars Accelerator, and Atlantic Ventures. Every month, we catch you up on all the latest funds and investments news, introduce you to investors, and discuss key themes and trends. We hope you enjoy our latest instalment. And as ever, if you have any suggestions for topics or want to get involved yourself, please don't hesitate to reach out. For now, let's catch up on all the latest funding news from the last month. It was yet another quiet month on the investment front as the African startup ecosystem continued to navigate the global funding winter. Most of the news came from Egypt, which bucked trends over the last few weeks. Deep tech startup Intella closed a $3.4 million pre-Series A funding round to fuel its expansion into the Saudi market and support the development of end-to-end AI models localised for the MENA region. And InsureTech startup Amenly closed a $1 million equity funding round to help it expand its team, further build its product and grow its brand. There are also rounds for two Egyptian EdTech startups. Crafty Workshop secured $400,000 in a seed funding round led by EdVentures, which it will use to help expand its product offering and expand regionally, while OBM Education has announced a six-figure funding round to enhance its footprint in Saudi Arabia. Elsewhere, the news was thin on the ground. Senegalese FMCG intelligence startup Lengo AI raised a seven-figure pre-seed round to help it develop its product and team and expand into new African markets. South African startup Q, a front-runner in AI-driven customer service solutions, raised half a million US dollars. And Nigerian insurtech startup Haber banked 75000 in pre-seed funding. Meanwhile, 10 African startups have been selected to take part in the fourth edition of Startup Bootcamp AfriTech's ASIP Accelerator Program, securing US dollars in funding and three months of mentorship, access to resources and networking opportunities. As with last month, there was better news on the VC fundraising side of the equation, suggesting we may see more liquidity in the coming months. AAIC Investment announced new backing for its Africa Healthcare Fund 2, taking the total size of its two funds to $87 million dollars. Sonari Capital, a women-led and majority black and women-owned South African private equity firm, raised $65 million US dollars in the second close of its growth fund, while Blue Peak Private Capital, an alternative asset manager firm supporting the growth of scalable businesses in Africa, reached a final close of $156 million for its inaugural private capital fund. IFC, part of the World Bank Group, announced a $50 million equity investment in a new fund by Leapfrog Investments to improve fast-growing health and financial services firms' access to growth capital and support job creation in Africa as well as South Asia and Southeast Asia. And last but not least, Sony Group established a $10 million innovation fund to invest in African entertainment startups. That's your lot. Hopefully we'll have more to report next month. In each episode of The Month in VC, we focus on one individual Africa-focused investor, learning about their background, their company, and their investment ethos. This month, we caught up with Aniko Sigatvari of Atlantic Ventures, an Africa-focused impact VC fund she co-founded alongside Ik Kanu in 2019. Born in Hungary, Aniko has over 20 years of experience investing in emerging markets, mainly focused on technology, media, and telecom, and a stellar resume that includes roles at the IFC, McKinsey & Company, Kraft Foods International, and DHL Worldwide Express. Having made investments in Africa on behalf of IFC since 2004, she started making angel investments of her own in 2015. That investment experience and uh, um, being close to the development of the ecosystem um, validated in my my co-founder's mind the interest in uh, institutionalizing that effort and creating a venture capital fund. 
So we uh, eventually got going on Atlantic Ventures in 2019 and uh, have been investing in, as an institutional investor ever since. This is Atlantica's first fund worth 50 million US dollars and it has a focused investment strategy. So we will um, invest only a limited number of startups, but with the idea that we would support those uh, startups across multiple funding rounds. Um, so, so far we have made investments in eight startups and um, we're, we're likely to double that maybe a bit more uh, over the next few years. Atlantica then invests new checks from pre-seed to Series A and can follow on at Series B, the final stage at which it invests. We will not invest in a, a new Series C round. We will only support our existing startups in scaling them to Series B. The idea is to um, support our startups until exit, not to to exit early through secondaries. Uh, my co-founder and I come from more of a growth equity background. We scaled a lot of businesses and exited a lot of businesses over our prior careers. Um, and we would like to or hope to bring those experience to our startups and help them um, in their growth journey and help them anticipate uh, uh, growth pain points and opportunities as our startups scale their businesses. What does that support look like on the ground? It uh, really is across the board and really depends on the, the development stage of the startup. We, we help with bringing in new customers, uh, opening up uh, um, market channels, help with various strategies, figuring out, out product market fit, sometimes as simple as helping with legal documentation um, as, as they uh, find, uh, find or sign contracts with customers. Um, it's really a wide range of interventions. We have a wide network of contacts across the globe, um, and we try to also utilize that to bring expertise into our startups uh, as needed. We um, hope to be uh, one of the first calls of the entrepreneurs um, if they are facing an issue. Uh, uh, so to be an extended part of the team and think along with the entrepreneur as they come across opportunities or pain points. Atlantica's eight investments include Paystack and Sendy, two companies with two very different outcomes. And though Aniko says she loves all of her portfolio companies, some are scaling faster than others. We have uh, one startup um, called Sabi, where we have funded all their funding grants to this point. It's a female entrepreneur. Um, it's a merchant market uh, place that started in Nigeria and scaled now to various markets in Africa. We're very excited about um, that company, but there are many others. Um, we have a cybersecurity out of South Africa, we think has fantastic potential. We invested in an AI lab out of South Africa as well. Um, um, we have a nice IoT business um, that is helping fix the cold chain industry and cold chain insurance issues. So I would say um, we spend a lot of time um, with our startups and uh, not just in growing them, but also in the due diligence to make sure that we hopefully bet on, uh, on winners and, and uh, um, uh, strong entrepreneurs. And so far, um, I think that's reflected in our portfolio. 
Atlantica, primarily funded by development finance institutions, is a pan-African fund that so far has made investments in Nigeria, Kenya and South Africa. Aniko said she is keen to do more with startups in countries like Ghana, Ivory Coast and Tanzania. The idea is really to scale these businesses that we invest in across Africa and hopefully to other regions as well um, by tapping into our networks across emerging markets as well as some developed ones. It is primarily focused on B2B and B2C businesses. B2B businesses are more resilient um, uh, in emerging markets. So that's our focus. And in terms of sectors, it's tech and tech-enabled businesses. Um, and in terms of verticals, we're looking to invest in fintech, marketplaces, digital security, logistics, internet of things, um, enterprise SaaS or enterprise applications of AI and agri-tech. So quite a, a, a broad uh, brush, um, but all B2B and B2C um, and tech businesses. Active on the continent for so long, is Aniko still bullish about the African tech startup space? Yes, and I would say even more because the ecosystem is, although it's still relatively early stage, it has matured quite a bit compared to uh, 2015 or 2016. So there's a lot more startups, a lot more entrepreneurs uh, with unique ideas. We're starting to see here and there second time founders and there's more and more funding available for startups, um, noting obviously that we're in a little bit of a um, tough period um, where a lot of VCs are shying away from investing. We're not one of those. We have um, money, lots of money to deploy. So we're actively looking. Uh, we're just looking carefully uh, to make sure we're betting on the right opportunities. But the um, landscape has, has developed a lot. There's ways to go, but I think... Um, you know, once uh, globally and Africa climbs out of this macro climate, I think um, it should see again substantial uh, funding flowing into the continent. African entrepreneurs, she said, are just as good as those anywhere else in the world. When we do diligence companies, we actually look globally and find other company, uh, other startups in, in other markets to see how they're doing, what they have done. Usually they're further down the road in their development. There are conclusion each and every time is that the African startups might be a little earlier in their development stage, but the entrepreneurs are just as good. And part of our strategies, as I mentioned, is to take some of these startups and scale them and support them to grow to other regions. And we believe we can do that. We already have a company in our portfolio um, where we have supported their growth into other regions because the technology and the entrepreneurs are just as good as Africa and anywhere else in the world. The current global venture capital landscape has not provoked too much of a rethink at Atlantica or among its portfolio companies, as they were not pursuing a growth at all cost strategy, unlike some businesses in the tech space. Growth at all costs, growth without revenue, growth without, um, you know, cash generation. I don't think that quite works in emerging markets. I think that might be an easier proposition in the United States or other developed markets. So in general, um, we have always been uh, conscious of um, supporting startups where the focus wasn't uh, growing at all cost. Um, 
I think the beauty of um, African entrepreneurs is that the environment is, is, because the environment is tougher, they have learned to create value and grow startups with very little funding. Now in 2021, 2022, I think that kind of um, experience and discipline was a little bit challenged with the availability of funding, but I think now we're back into um, that kind of what you call funding winter, a tougher fundraising environment. And I think that plays to the strength of, of um the African continent and the experience of, of entrepreneurs. So um, we we are definitely focusing on helping our startups stretch the dollar and try to um, scale in a in a more um, profit focused manner. I think things will eventually pick up in terms of funding, but it will probably take longer than we expect. Um, so good to build that, build back that muscle that I think in general, um, uh, entrepreneurs and companies in Africa are, are really um, good at. there then on how African tech startups can best ride out the current downturn and why she remains extremely bullish on the space. We look forward to seeing Atlantic Ventures deploy some more of its war chest in the near future. Now then to the next part of this episode of The Month in VC. Each episode, we touch on a certain key issue within the ecosystem, be that a key facet of the VC business model or an emerging trend. Today, we are discussing startup preconceptions about venture capital and how they are often incorrect as well as the necessity for investors and startups to learn how to talk each other's languages in order to better facilitate working relationships. We're doing that with the help of Masoni Wachira, advisor at Catapult Africa, Matthew Palin, partner at South African VC firm Halaya Sani Capital, and Oyen Shalebo, managing director of the ARM Labs Lagos Textiles Accelerator. says startups often don't understand enough about how venture capital works and that this is something her team really works on. One of the things that we are really deliberate about at Techstars is really to encouraging our startups to be really thoughtful about how they approach VCs, who they approach, when, how they keep them updated and etc. Because ultimately for both sides, both for the VC and for the startup, their time is super, super critical. So it's really important that the right conversations are being had between the right VC and the right startup. But what specifically do they not understand? It starts with something as simple as picking the right investor. First of all, a lot of startups, when they go into conversations with, with VCs, they don't just ask themselves that upfront question of what is important? What is it that I'm really looking for from this from this VC beyond money, because not all money is equal. So I really encourage our founders to be really deliberate when they are choosing 
an investor. So that means making sure that they're doing some research on who that investor is, what their investment thesis is, does it actually even align with theirs? What stage of investment do they make? So there's no point a pre-seed investor going and speaking to, you know, a big series A investor that's not going to look at them. They're, they're wasting both, both of their time. Um, and really also understanding, do they even have capital at that moment to deploy? A lot of startups also don't know how they should approach VCs. In many occasions, a warm introduction, a warm ref- referral is really important. But in some cases, there are some actual VCs that are actually really open to cold introductions. So they're really open to the founders reaching out to them on LinkedIn or other social media platforms. Or they may even have something on their website where a startup can put information on their, on, on their startup on that platform. So although warm introductions are all always preferred. There are some VCs that actually don't mind that cold intro. Oyen also believes a lot of startups waste time at this point because they don't ask up front what the process of the investor in question is. Each VC will have a different process. There are some VCs that have a really stringent five-step process. And if you ask them, they will tell you that up front. And knowing that up front is of so much value because number one, it enables the founder to get prepared so they know what information they're going to need to share at each stage. But number two, when the VC starts to go off process, they can see that and they can see that actually this conversation is not going the way I intended. Maybe it's not the best use of time. Maybe I'm not a good fit. Or maybe actually the VC is doing a little bit of research on a sector rather than genuinely interested in making that investment. Startups also often don't know how to continually engage with a VC, both before and after an investment is made. So when they are going through that process of having conversations with with VCs, they're not sure how many times they should keep following up with the VC. Um, They are not sure whether or not they should add them to their investor updates. Or in fact, in many cases, what an investor update email should actually look like. And something like that is just a really great way for a founder to keep a VC engaged, to show them how they are progressing week on week or month on month, and therefore show that if an investment is made, there's a high likelihood that that track record of continual improvement will continue with more capitalization. She believes that startups often don't realize how much value they are bringing to a VC, viewing it as a hierarchical relationship rather than a symbiotic one. The startup needs the VC for capital, but the VC also needs the startup to generate a return for their LP. And because that relationship is symbiotic, it means that it should be more equal. So it's not just a case of the VC asking for information, asking for data, and then going cold. The VC, in many cases, if they're a good VC, knows that they should also be adding more value to that startup. They should be providing them with strategic and tactical guidance, um, commercial introductions, introductions to other investors if they're doing follow-on funding rounds. Um, So I think for a lot of VCs, they don't understand enough that that relationship is win-win and a good investor will not only invest capital, but will also invest time to make sure that they can solve the challenges and create new opportunities for that startup to continue to progress. Sony, however, says it goes both ways and that many investors don't understand enough about what it takes to grow startups. There is a lot of preconceptions and misconceptions both ways. Um, And so we've not had VC to a great extent in Africa until quite recently. So we are all still learning Um, and it will take some time for startups to understand VC and for VC to understand startups. But I think there needs to be concerted efforts from both sides.
Startups also need to realise that not all businesses are venture backable. As a venture capitalist, when we're making a decision, we're like, can we get a 10x return? Simply because a large portion of our portfolio won't get there. Either they'll fail, um, they will return 2x, 3x, modest returns. But we are looking for those that will return 10x. So at the outset, when we're making the decision, we need to have a high degree of conviction that this is a real possibility given the size of the market, the the business model, the team, etc. Um, and so not all business models have that aggressive revenue growth that we're looking for. And so if you're not in that category, seeking venture capital is foolhardy. I wouldn't advise it. There are alternatives, um, not many, but there are alternatives, including being having really healthy unit economics and growing off your own revenue and profitability, which is what traditional businesses and SMEs have done for, for eons. Matt says he believes understanding is improving drastically. You know, we've got a lot of really um, good initiatives out there with um, educational content. Um, and and so I, I think that education is improving. And we've also, we always, you know, we make our term sheets or, or the, the template term sheet freely available um, to, to anyone to see. But of course, there's the you, you might be able to like read a term but to really understand its implications and, and what it means does sometimes require a bit of education um and so it is it's always going to be this uh this journey of understanding to due diligence then which is often thought of as a one-way street but it's equally important for startups to do due diligence on potential investors as the other way around it's like a marriage you know they are going to be working together for a long period of time, for many years. So it's really important that the startup knows who they're getting into partnership with. I encourage our founders to do that due diligence before you even have that first conversation. So I encourage them to create a CRM, create a CRM where you know who your targets are, be really deliberate about who they are, how you're going to approach them and when, and do all of that research, understand their investment thesis, understand if they're deploying capital, understand their ticket sizes, et cetera. So you know that you are prioritizing the right VCs to even have conversations with. And then when you're having conversations with the investor, it's really important that you are doing due diligence on the individuals that you're speaking with and with the firm. It's important to have conversations. It's important to do due diligence on those individuals because likelihood is, especially if they are partners, they're going to be there for a long time and you're going to be working with them for a long time. So it's really important that they've got a great track record of adding value to founders, a great track record of also being good to the founder when times are bad, right? Because there are no assurances that that startup is going to succeed. Obviously, that is where we're going into partnership with them. But if times are bad, if the startup is asking for help, if they're asking for advice and guidance, etc., is that VC going to be there? As I said earlier, not all money is equal. So doing, uh, doing due diligence on understanding whether or not they're going to add more than capital, but also be adding that strategic, that tactical guidance, those commercial relationships, etc., is really, really important for the founder to understand. Missoni agrees. As you're essentially getting into bed with this investor for a long period of time, uh, five to 10 years, which is a significant part of, of your journey as a, as a founder. And uh, some investors 
uh, demand a board seat. So they will have significant influence on strategy um, and how you expand, how you grow as an organization. So I think it is very wise to also do due diligence on your investors. Um, I've heard once that if you can't have a beer or a glass of wine rather with, with your investor, don't take their money. Uh, so please, yeah, date them <laughs> before marrying them. Matt says too often startups do not do their diligence, which he puts down to a scarcity in funding. Uh, uh, an investor will come to you and um, you might not have any other options, so you're kind of forced to go with it. But that, you you know, you is can be problems out there. You should always vet what other um, investments have they made, try to speak to those people, what are they like uh, on as a board member, because often they're going to want a board seat. So, you know, what are they like in the boardroom? Um, because, I mean, we've seen over the years that, you know, a, a, um, a board that's ineffective and has politics involved can make decision-making and um, tough and almost hamper the business as well. Increasingly, we're seeing the startup and VC worlds overlap as successful founders become investors themselves. A movement between the two becomes more common. I think that convergence of operators and founders becoming VCs or becoming investors is a great thing for the ecosystem because they're not just coming with capital, but they're coming with first-hand operational experience of what it takes to build a startup. And particularly when you particularly when you look at Africa and Nigeria, for example, which is where my program is, there are so many operators and founders that are now giving capital back to the startups. And that gives a great opportunity for them to learn from their first-hand successes and mistakes, but also the opportunity for them to be more strategic in the nature of their investment. So they are actively looking for commercial opportunities for the two to work together for the benefit of both of those organisations. Musoni says regardless of previous operator experience, fund managers are also entrepreneurs in their own right, working with their own investors. So for us, our startups are our customers and uh, startups have, you know, different and startups are, we are a startups investors. So we, we straddle both sides uh, in a similar way that startups straddle both sides, having customers on one end and investors on the other and having to create value um, and make a return. In fact, it is fair to say that there are many, many similarities between startups and venture capital funds. I actually still call ourselves almost a startup. Just we're a, when did we start? 2013. So we're a 10-year-old startup, um, as there are actually lots out there. Um, but it is exactly the same. I mean, you know, as I said, we've, um, we sometimes go without salaries like some startups have had to do and are doing. Um, we have to, you know, you know, there's challenging times on fundraising, which we have to do on 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 ensuring your product's right and getting those returns and building a business. It's it's all there. We we ourselves have to, as we grow, put in new processes, new 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 team members. You know, it's it is a venture capital business is a business, um, and you know, just like any other business, we we go through that process of of um, the, the challenges and also the joys. 
there we have it then. Startups too often don't understand how VC works, but that goes both ways. And as crossover between the two becomes more common, and given the obvious similarities between startups and venture capital funds, we should expect greater mutual understanding in future. That brings us to the end of this episode of The Month in VC, brought to you by Disrupt Africa in partnership with Catapult Africa, Halayasani Capital, ARM Labs, Lagos Techstars Accelerator, and Atlantic Adventures. We'll see you next time. Bye.